Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm so excited to be joined by Eric Scheniger. Eric was an award winner principal at New Milford High School and now is a senior fellow and thought leader on digital leadership with the International Center for Leadership in Education. In addition, he's a consultant, national presenter, and author. Eric has written popular titles such as Learning Transformed, Brand Ed, Uncommon Learning, Digital Leadership, and Communicating and Connecting with Social Media. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Josh, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. And Eric, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator. Well, it's interesting because I should probably never even become an administrator. I was not, education was not my field of choice. I actually wanted to be like Jacques Cousteau. I have a bachelor's in marine environmental science, and that's what I really wanted to do. But as I was on a graduate teaching assistantship in a small school in Western Maryland studying fisheries biology, that's when I actually discovered that I was meant to go into the field of education. So I went back home, got my credentials, become a teacher. And, and then I guess, you know, for me, I always wanted to try to do more and impact more kids. My father uh, was an elementary principal at the same school for close to 30 years. And, you know, I had always hoped to be a fraction of the principal that he was. Probably one of the most instrumental moments of my career was when I attended the retirement dinners of both my parents. I knew my parents always sacrificed for me and my brothers, but I had no clue and took for granted, you know, how they sacrificed for so many others. And then, you know, I eventually became an administrator. I started off as an athletic director, then a vice principal, then eventually principal. And my theory was pretty simple. Let's try out different admin positions to get my foot in the door, get that relevant experience, and uh, ultimately get to what I aspire to, which was the principalship. While I was in that position, I mean, I'll tell you right now, when you talk about leadership, you learn so much more in the field. College, grad school can't really prepare you. And I'd say that so many of the things that I had to focus on and do, you know, I never learned in school. So I think what that leadership journey was, it was really about the experience that New Milford provided me, learning on the fly and trying every day to make it clear to my staff that it's not about me, it's not about the principal, it's not about people with position, uh, power, or titles. It's about action. You know, when I think about coming full circle from leadership, it's about how can you build capacity in others? How can you inspire others to take action and be leaders themselves and believe in their own abilities. So, you know, that in a nutshell is my leadership journey, Cliff Notes style. And so in your transition from a teacher to an administrator, what was your biggest misconception as you began your experience? I think the biggest misconception for me was is the difference between developing lessons, assessments, tasks, and providing good feedback on that. I think a big misconception was that we often teach the way we were taught and lead the way we were led. And that's kind of how I followed initially my role as an administrator. I, I did what I was taught. You know, I was a victim of my own experience. And the misconception was that that was right. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's always been done is how we should continue. If it's not broke, don't fix it. 
this too shall pass. So a misconception, a lot of it had to do with the environment conditions. Not, not saying they were bad, uh, but I'm not saying they were good either. And I, I think it was kind of about moving away from that fixed mindset and that more traditionalist mentality to try to be a leader that the, my staff wanted to work with, not see me as someone that they were working for. And in your transition from a vice principal to a principal, what do you wish you had known before taking your principal's position? In a vice principal position, management is very important. It, it really is. But but I wish I would have spent more time developing my instructional leadership abilities. I, I think that even with you know the mundane tasks that unfortunately are embedded in that position, such as discipline, scheduling, I still wish vice principal would have made more time to get into the classroom and really give my teachers uh, more actionable, timely feedback. And I think that's an area where I grew into, I grew and evolved as a principal and really made that more of an emphasis. I kind of wish I had done that when I was a VP, but as principal, I really tried to model and impart that on a, upon my assistants. And so in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? I think the ones that excelled in a traditionalist school or education system. Some were afraid, they were afraid of technology. Some were so dead set on following rules. Others just did not want to change. And, you know, the key is, and, and I, I had amazing assistance, and, and I really feel that the, the true testament per se and the true role, job of a principal is preparing your assistants to become principals. And I succeeded in that. And I'm not saying I was the best at it, but I did prepare during my you know 10-year career as an administrator. Within that, I think a lot of it was trying to understand that, yes, I wanted them to be more innovative, more cutting edge, but I had to hold back from trying to develop them into carbon copies of me. And I think that's sometimes so hard with leadership is we're often blinded in everything in education by our own bias. And just because we think it's a great style, it works for us and others might embrace it, doesn't mean it works for that respective person. And, and I think leaders have to, the good leaders have to really take that step back, fully acknowledge that their way isn't always the right way. And our job is to provide support, to mentor, to empower reflection, to give timely feedback but put others in a position to succeed and excel. Even though my assistants might have been sometimes stubborn or not as open to new ideas, ultimately I was the one that was tasked with providing them uh, their evaluations. Through those evaluations, I had to be pretty honest, blunt, and give those good recommendations for feedback. So my point is you don't always have to agree uh, with the other person in terms of everything that we do in education. But the goal is how well do you work together? Do others respect you as a leadership team? Do they see you united as opposed to being divided? And do others fit more specific niches? And, and that's where I think we thrived is as I evolved more to an instructional leader, my assistants, they, they had to be great managers. But I also made sure that they were in classrooms 
more than I was as a VP. And that was something that was sort of our norms. And I think every leader should have norms. So of our, our norms was, you know what? Our teachers got to see us. We have to give timely, actionable feedback and build those relationships uh, with our staff and students. In looking back, what was your greatest trial which led to an important leadership lesson? <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I, I think at times you have to know your place. And I will preface it this way. Uh, in my 10 years in New Milford, I had six different superintendents in 10 years. Oh, wow. Everyone had a different style, a different vision. And I think the hardest point for me personally and professionally was having a superintendent that had never been a principal. And it was hard for me to be told what to do from someone that had not been in my shoes, that had not run a building. This was very frustrating behind closed doors with my assistants at home. But, you know, again, it's all about professionalism. Even though I might not have agreed, I really had to be more tactful with how I had to go about it. So the lesson I learned is you're not always going to agree with your boss. The key is how do you do your best to implement their ideas to complement what you are already focused on as a building or uh, district. It's a challenge because there were times where I openly did not agree with what I was told, but I, I think it was how I was able to articulate why I had an issue with it and how we could do it differently. But I think the challenge also is when we look at leadership, are you a boss or are you a leader? Are you a manager or are you a leader? And there's big differences. Leaders take into account management practices and, and attributes, but that might work well in the private sector. It doesn't necessarily work well in K-12. Leadership isn't about telling people what to do. Leadership is don't ask others to do what you have not done yourself. And that's a big pet peeve of mine, even when I look at quote unquote leaders in the social media space. Just because it sounds good on Twitter, or looks good on Pinterest doesn't mean it's an effective practice. So that's something else that I, I, I learned from watching other leaders is there's a big difference in telling others the great things you're doing compared to showing them how to do it. I've learned a lot about what not to do from some of the leaders that I've worked with. And I really think it's helped me evolve into not the best leader, but someone that continually reflects on how I can get better. And so as an administrator, what was one area you wanted to change in education? It's not that I wanted to change anything in education. I wanted to help develop collaboratively with my administrators and teachers a, a culture that was embraced by more learners. We wanted to change the, the game of school. You know, many kids were coming and doing school. Uh, school was something that was done to them. It wasn't really about learning. So I, I think, and, and again, not, I know it's a cliche, Josh, that we all hear old it's about the learning. It's about a learning. But, you know, what does it really look like in practice? And we wanted to not just change that dynamic in our respective school, but we wanted to build upon our success to tell our story, to share uh, the evidence that really justified why we were doing this, how we were going about it, 
and what criteria determined if we were ultimately successful. And ultimately, the unexpected outcome was that eventually others were looking at what was going on at New Milford High School. And that was pretty darn cool. I'm not going to lie. You know, we weren't the highest achieving, even though we improved achievement across the board over multiple years. We weren't the most innovative. We were better than most at telling people our story and having the evidence to back it up. So when I think about changing education, and now I look at my role uh, as a senior fellow with the International Center for Leadership and Education, my job isn't to go and tell others what to do. That's not my job. My job is to get people to ask more questions, to take a critical lens to their work and think about where they are, but more importantly, where do they want to be? Where do they need to be for their learners? So we talk about changing education. I think my role now, if people even look to me as a leader in this space, is to use experience that I've had in the trenches, combine that now with the latest research ideas and utilize examples from schools and leaders that are achieving great results uh, through innovative practices. Mm -hmm. So I hope that messaging and that work actually sparks that willingness to lead sustainable change uh, in more schools across the country and across the world. So what is one initiative you implemented at your campus that you are extremely proud of? Well, I'm going to give you one from my former school as a principal and, and one from the school that I'm now working with as a job embedded coach. As a principal, I'd say I was really proud with how we implemented uh, Bring Your Own Device. Mm-hmm. Through the entire five years that we were Bring Your Own Device, we had lots of evidence to support the improvement of outcomes, whether it was improvement in standardized test scores how many times the New York City media came and looked at our work, all of the artifacts that we had to show that level of questioning was changing, so on and so forth. Bring your own technology forced us to take a critical lens to our work. And we realized that you know we had to improve rigor. We had to ask questions that kids couldn't Google the answers to. We had to innovate the way we assess, improve feedback. So again, the unintended outcome of bring your own technology was that it helped us to better develop our pedagogical capacity, in turn, improve results. Now, as a consultant, I'd say one of the most things I'm proud of is the work that I've been uh, helping facilitate at Wells Elementary School in Cypress Fairbanks ISD, elementary school that my daughter went to last year. As we began last year, we worked on instructional design aligned to pedagogically sound blended learning. As we finished up the first year, not only did they have the data to show that they blew STAR, their standardized tests, out of the park, but there's so much evidence that teaching and learning were actually changing. And as a consultant and as a parent, proud of how it was orchestrated because it was leadership at all levels. At Wells, it is some of the best blended learning that I've ever seen in schools in this country. And it's because of a commitment by every teacher, every administrator, common vision, common language, common expectations. Uh, blended instruction is what the teacher does with tech. Blended learning is where kids control path, pace, and place. Having all those pieces come in, getting phenomenal results, winning an award for efficacy in digital learning was sort of like the icing on the cake for Wells Elementary. 
But in both cases, I use those examples because the foundational element of all this was that improving pedagogy first before tech and then letting that technology be a support or enhancer to high-level learning for kids. And for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? My advice is do not try to do everything at once. Do not think you have to have all the answers and solve every problem. You cannot. There is no perfect leader, just like there is no perfect teacher. Leaders need to chase growth, not perfection. And the best way as a starting leader is to observe and learn from those that have that experience and that have gone through, whether it be reform, budget crunches, technology adoptions. You know, your best resource as a, a new leader are your colleagues. Colleagues that work in schools that have similar socio demographics, similar sizes, populations. And, and I think that you also have to have an open mind. And, you know, we all want to change the world per se. You're not going to change the world every single day. And you have to understand that. And you have to sort of temper your expectations and understand that, you know, change is not a race. You know, it is a process and it takes time. The best advice I could give new leaders is surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Do not be afraid to give up control. You need to empower and leverage and lean on your teachers. And I don't want to say master teachers, but I want to say those teachers that truly get it, that not only have the best interest of kids in mind, but that work their tails off and are not afraid to fail themselves. That's how you build leadership capacity by understanding saying, and I did that with Laura Fleming. You know, Laura Fleming was my teacher librarian at New Milford High School one of the best hires I ever had. I went out, I got her, and I said, Laura, one, you gotta do something with this space. Two, you gotta make sure the money that you're given is spent more wisely. Three, I'm gonna get out of your way. But by the end of the year, I need to see how this space, how kids are reading more. And ultimately, through the makerspace, she exceeded every single expectation I had. But again, it worked because, yeah, I got out of her way. I let her take control of her budget. But I gave her feedback, I pushed her, I asked her the hard questions, and it was always, we're not finished. What's next? What's next? So I think those are some tips that I would give any new leader. But, you know, I'm a realist. I don't have all the answers. Um, I'm not an expert. I, I'm still learning myself and trying to find my way as a leader. For me, it's a constant experience of trying to grow and get better. And for those who haven't had an opportunity to read your books, can you choose one book that may help our aspiring leaders? Yeah, I think as aspiring leaders, you know, I would go to digital leadership. I mean, that was really, I say my first real book, but a book really based on uh, the work that we did at New Milford High School, as well as the work of other practitioners from across the country who were really looking at the research and finding their own way to improve culture in their respective buildings. So, you know, digital leadership, and there is a new edition of digital leadership coming out in the spring of 2019. And I'm really proud because I got to reflect on my writing and I feel I was able to really improve the text, but add a lot of new content, new research, and color images in every chapter to go along with the different thoughts and ideas. 
And so in addition to your admin position, you were speaking at conferences, you still do, you write books, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your campus? Uh, I try to give people advice on this all the time. Finding my voice was, again, an unattended outcome of what we did. And I look at it this way. My equation was simple. Improve the work, share the work. All I did was use social media first to communicate, but then to take control of my learning and then to share. And I found my voice through the work of my teachers. My teachers and kids really built me up. They're the ones that gave me the confidence to go and speak publicly, which I used to be terrified, terrified. You know, just because you're an author doesn't mean you're a good writer. Just because you blog doesn't mean you're a good writer. My mom demands that she proofs my blog every single week because I used to have so many grammatical and spelling errors. I struggled with writing and speaking. I found my voice because my teachers improved the work. We shared the work. And then it put me in a position where, as the principal, I kind of had the microphone through social media and now the platform to put my teachers and kids up on a pedestal and share all the great things that were happening. And then that just then snowballed and moved from the Northeast to Texas. Here I am now <laughs> getting to spread the good word. So my advice is don't look at it as, oh, I want to be a keynote speaker. I want to go out and be a thought leader. And again, thought leaders are terms that are bestowed upon us. It's not something that we say, oh, yeah, you know, I want to be a thought leader. Give me that title. <laughs> but, you know, really take ownership of your work. And don't just share the good stuff. You need to share how you've overcome adversity. And I think that really is the stories that we found that really helped us take that leap into this whole sharing space and finding our voice. And so in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Seeing other people succeed and believing in themselves. I think leadership, again, it, it's not about the work of one it's about the collective and true leadership is where everyone is working together at a common goal and experiencing success i think sometimes we lose sight of that it's not about one person's ideas it's not about one person's message it is when i look back i lay all my different teachers and kids that played a role in our transformation so i think getting people to believe in themselves and being able to highlight their own success is really a, a testament to the work of great leaders. And Eric, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, they can check out my website, ericsheninger.com, or on Twitter, I'm E underscore Scheninger, or just do a Google search and everything else will pop up. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Eric, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Josh.